remember to get the laundry detergent? No! I did that. Uh, I did that th this weekend. Uh, Ava, uh, we got a bunch of groceries. I rocked that trash. Uh, and how can you not like preach a sermon like super motivated when you hear like an intro song like Eye of the Tiger? We're going to start a book study today on the book of James, written by the half-brother of Jesus. Now, you and I would probably say like if we could be family members with anybody, like being the half-brother of Jesus sounds awesome. John, come up here for a second. Mother Mary says, don't pop the balloon, right? And it's your James. I'm, I'll play the role of Jesus, all right? So here's the balloon. Here's a nail. Uh, go ahead and, and pop it. All right. So Mother Mary comes to us speaking words of wisdom. Let it be. Let it be. Now, you guys don't know that song. Get out of here. You guys don't know that song because it's the Beatles, right? No, you stay here for a second, right? So then Mother Mary, she hears the balloon pop, and she comes to us. And what are, like, two kids that are in trouble? And Mother Mary asks, who did it? What, what plays out next? We both point to each other. Now, if I'm Jesus, and this is my half-brother James, who's wrong every single time? James. He will always be in trouble in this scenario. Thank you, John. Thank you. Uh, so... Being the half-brother of Jesus might not have all the benefits that we foresee. And perhaps that's why throughout the Gospels, his brothers wanted to kill Jesus. There was a scene in, in, in John, I think it's chapter, uh, I forget what chapter, but there's a scene in John where it's known that if Jesus goes to Jerusalem, that he is going to surely meet his death. So there's a little family back and forth, and his brothers say, Jesus, you know what you should do? You should head to Jerusalem, <laughs> encouraging him to go what would be his certain death. They thought he was crazy. They thought he was a madman. What changes in a person's life where all of a sudden he becomes the author of one of the books that God would use him to write a scripture, that he would be an integral part of, of the early church? We see this in 1 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 15. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. Paul is talking about all these people that Jesus revealed himself to in his resurrected body. So Jesus died. Mary is there. She knows Jesus is dead. She, she helped put him, in, put him in the tomb. So James knows my brother is dead. And Jesus now fully alive, makes a point to go to James and say, look at me. Here I am. What would it take you to convince you that your brother is the son of God? Perhaps if he was able to come back to life and show himself, to predict his own death and then pull it off, then he's Lord and Messiah. And so the opening verse of James is this. James, servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the 12 tribes in Dispersia, greetings. So James is writing. Keep that up there for a second. James is writing. Here's what I want you to see. Two things. Well, first, he, he refers to Jesus, his half-brother, as Lord. He's no longer my brother. Now he's God. Now he's Lord. He's Messiah over my life. And what's so sad about that third word there is back when the Bible was being translated, that actual Greek word is doulos, which means slave. 
But when the Bible was being translated, slavery was all, the, uh, as we know, slavery to be awful and, and terrible. We've talked about this before. So, so the, the, the authors would, would, instead of using the word slave, they would use the word servant. But a servant is like an 8 to 5 type job, a 9 to 5 type job. A servant has rights. I don't, I don't like what you're doing, so I'm going to move on to the next person. Uh, it's, it has a more job element, but a slave loses that. And what made slavery awful was the stupid owners. But you and I were bought with a price, the blood of Jesus Christ. And he looks at you as master. He looks at you as my slave, my child. And slavery is awesome in this regard because Jesus is the greatest master that any one of us could ever imagine. He loves us better than we love ourselves. He, he knows what's best for us than even what we know is best. And so James refers to himself. Would you ever look at yourself as a slave to your brother? Ain't no way. I got two brothers. They're doofuses. I'll say that right in the camera. But James looks at himself as a slave of God, and then he's talking to these, these Christians in dispers, uh, this dispersion. These are scattered Christians. This is, this is a book written to that next generation that the church fathers are slowly going to start dying. Here's how you keep on keeping on. Here's what should be important. Here's how you mature in the faith. Here's how you carry on the baton. Here's how you go. Here's how you be the church. Here's how you take what you believe and put it into action. And these are people scattered, knowing pain, knowing trials. Some of them have friends. Some of them have family members that have been ripped apart by lions. They have been crucified themselves. They, the Christianity wasn't that popular in the early days. And he's writing to this church saying, here's how you keep on keeping on. We're going to say, as he looks to these people that are experiencing a storm, the big thought for us this morning is this. Growth happens in the midst of the storm. That you and I are going to experience trials. You and I are going to experience storms of life, seasons of life where things aren't that great. And perhaps that's where God is going to grow you and I into maturity. There's no other book in the New Testament that uses the Greek word maturity as much as James does. Five short chapters, but he uses the Greek word for maturity all throughout it. So this is how you and I, adulting, grow in our faith as Jesus followers, as Christ followers. So in James, in verses 2 through 12, James is going to show us three choices that you and I can make in the midst of the storm to help us grow. The first choice that you and I can make is this. Choose God's wisdom. Choose God's wisdom over your life. And in verses uh, 2 through 8, we read this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let, this, let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach. And it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. So through the storms, through a struggle, he says, consider it all joy. Joy isn't pretending to be happy, but it's keeping a positive perspective. 
Joy is different than happiness. It's finding contentment in the midst of all circumstances of life. And through the testing of our faith, through the seasons, through the, through the struggles, he says steadfastness. He talks about persevering. It's, doesn't that sound like a process? Doesn't it sound like our maturity is going to happen over a lifetime? That's why to us, one of our core values, and this is going to be a core value throughout the entire book of James, is endless growth. That there's no limit to the number of lives that can be reached for Jesus or mostly the impact that he can have on us. That there is not a Christian in this room that is perfect right now. There is not a Christian in this room that didn't wake up this morning and have to ask the question, Jesus, how can I be more like you today than I was yesterday? I have no room to judge any one of you. I've had to apologize to people throughout the week because I have screwed up. I don't stand before you a perfect man, but I stand before you wanting to be a perfect man. And so we strive and we want to persevere even through the struggles. So as we persevere, maybe perseverance is not looking at the trial. Maybe perseverance is looking at what can come as an outcome through the trial. And so if we persevere, it talks about leading to maturity. It talks about lacking in nothing. It talks about being complete. It sounds like character. Sounds like character is going to be built when we're going through a hardship. And so then he makes this promise. It sounds like maybe we're lacking something. And so he says, okay, you're lacking wisdom. Come to me. I'll give it to you, free of charge. You can have all the wisdom you want. You don't have it. I'll give it to you. So ask. Ask for it. He's not hesitant to give us wisdom. But how many of us wake up every morning saying, God, I'm lacking in this area. I need you. Maybe we're hesitant to ask. He's not hesitant to give it. But maybe we're hesitant to ask for it, and we need to be asking for it continually. And so if we're spiritually immature, if we're foolish, maybe the antidote to that is is wisdom. And wisdom, wisdom is not just gaining more knowledge. It's not scanning through the pages of the Bible, although that is important. Wisdom is knowing what to do and doing it. The fool, by definition, knows what to do and doesn't do it. And so if you know what to do and you don't do it, then perhaps you're a biblical fool. (laughs) I say that with love, but we have stuff to consider. (laughs) So Jesus says, seek me and I will give you wisdom. I will help you gain understanding. And then wisdom is putting things into practice. It's it's good decision-making. And so may our knowledge lead to wise decision-making. But the one that that doesn't have wise uh, decision-making, maybe that's when doubt starts creeping in. Maybe, Maybe when we're making poor decisions, maybe when we're lacking, maybe when we're incomplete, maybe that's when doubt starts creeping in. The doubt that James wants to protect us against is the doubt that would lead to temptation. It's the type of doubt that we saw in the garden. Adam and Eve are hanging out, and all of a sudden that slithery, sliming, stupid snake comes up and says, did God really say? And doubt, 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 a lie. And Eve gives in to that doubtful thinking. She eats the fruit and sin. James knows that doubt is okay if we bring it to God and trust. God, I'm having a hard time in this area, but God, fill me with wisdom to see it as you see it. May it not lead to temptation. The one who doubts is described as waffling back and forth. They're tossed around. They're unstable. They're they're double-minded. 
Does that sound like somebody mature, lacking in nothing? <laughs> Does it sound like someone who trusts God? Perhaps it sounds like someone who's just trying the God thing to get out of a season. <laughs> I'll do the God thing because life is hard, and then afterwards, I just need my, my token. <laughs> the results of doubt is in, in action. So if we want wisdom to be growing, if we want to apply this, then, then we see that wisdom does grow through knowledge. That, that, but when a trial comes, I, I realize that a hardship, a season, a storm comes my way, and all of a sudden, through the storm, I realize I don't know as much as I thought I knew. It grows through, through perspective. Our wisdom can grow through a perspective, but even in a trial, in a storm of life, we can, we can certainly realize all of a sudden, I'm not seeing this every angle. I'm not seeing this completely like God sees it. I, I lack in my perspective of this trial, of this storm. And then it also grows through experience that a, a storm, a hardship can come, and all of a sudden, I, don't, I realize I don't have all the experience I thought I did. I don't know how to handle this. So we have limits. You know who doesn't have limits? God. He's limitless. And so if we want wisdom, maybe we need to go to God for wisdom to fill us in our knowledge, to fill us in our perspective, to fill us in our, in our experience. So perhaps our foolishness, our unwise behavior, perhaps that we're children looking to grow and become adult, why then do we stay as, as infants? Perhaps it's, we're going to the wrong source for wisdom. Perhaps we're going to the wrong source. Because if it's God who fills us with wisdom, we go to him and we, we, we ask for a perspective. We say, God, fill me with your wisdom. And it might, be, it might be counterintuitive to what you and I would feel and to think. Because God is counterintuitive to what we feel and think. We might go to him for divine wisdom because, well, sometimes we need wisdom to grow in our faith. You know when God fills us with divine wisdom, you know what he's not going to do? He's not going to tell you something that's contrary to his will. He's not going to tell you something contrary to his character. So God's never going to say, shoot up one last time. Have your last hurrah. He'll never tell you that. He'll, he'll never tell you, you have a boyfriend or your girlfriend, you want to keep him or her, you should sleep with her. He'll never tell you that. Because that's contrary to his character. He's going to fill you with insight that leads unto maturity. So who are you getting your source of wisdom from? Is it your BFF that may not have all the godly counsel in the world? Is it Chance the what, Rapper? <laughs> I hear he's big now. I have never heard of the guy. <laughs> or is it T. Swift? Perhaps Taylor Swift's not handling the adulting process like you and I would handle the adulting process. <laughs> She's been wronged. I don't know her personal life. We're not buddies. But apparently she's been wronged. And then she went like social media like cold. <laughs> and then she like blew up social media with these like new songs. That's a hit song. Some of you guys have never heard. you like older folk, your parents and stuff. You're like, that's what's being played? Yeah, that's, what, that's a top song right now. And if we were to get all of our wisdom from Taylor Swift and the adulting process, then that would mean that when you and I are wronged, seek revenge. When you or I are wronged, then it's eye for an eye, and we're going to go and we're going to do on the attack. We're going to have a list of names of people we don't like, and we're going to knock them off one by one. That's the 
growing up process for Taylor Swift. But if we went to God as the source of wisdom, he would say, revenge is mine. I still want you to love people. I want you to love your enemy. So we need to go to God as our source of wisdom. Who is wise in your life? Who would you consider mature in the Christian faith? You know what I can guarantee you? Is that they've grown through storms. They've grown through trials and hardships. Smooth seas have never made great sailors. It's through the rough waters that all of a sudden sailors gain their their wisdom. They gain their knowledge. They gain their their skill set as a great sailor. Smooth seas are never going to develop that. And so in the Christian faith, you talk to somebody who's mature in their faith, and they're going to point to a season of life where mom died, dad died, where, where there was divorce. That's my life, my, divorce in my background with, with my parents, and, and seasons that are hard and struggling. And maybe that's where God develops our faith, and we find wisdom when we choose to seek him out. So who do you seek for wisdom? Part of the adulting process is seeking godly wisdom. Secondly, choose your focus. Growth happens in the midst of the storm. Choose God's wisdom. Secondly, choose your focus. He says, he goes on, James, and he says, let, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So will the rich man fade away in the midst of all his pursuits. Now, wisdom is required for both the rich and the poor. But the person of humble circumstances, the person of of maybe poverty or lowly circumstances in Scripture, that person's always exalted. Mother Mary, James's mom, was a little servant girl. She was a little peasant from a small, stupid town. And the angel comes to him, oh, honored one. You're honored in your low position. Jesus didn't have two dimes to rub together. He was homeless. Aren't you and I thankful that that Jesus doesn't ascribe worth to riches? Otherwise, the poor person would have no hope. The world ascribes prestige. The world ascribes a sense of honor to money, not God. God never does. But sometimes it's through poverty that, that our character can be shaped because we learn to trust God. A person of meek, meek circumstances knows what it means to trust God. That doesn't mean riches are wrong. But there's a danger in riches. When trials and hardships come, we, we quickly realize that money can't cover up the pain. It can't solve all of my issues. It can't solve every hardship and trial that comes my way. There's a frailty to riches. So is your life going to be built on physical riches? Or is it going to be built on spiritual resources that only God can provide? Your riches that you count on can go bye-bye real quickly. It can come and it can go. And so this is an invitation for us to take our focuses off of riches and place them on God. Because if you're focused on riches and you're not focused on God, how dangerous is that in the midst of trials where God is your only answer? So are you trusting money? Is your focus on money or are you trusting God? James McDonald, a pastor in the Chicago area, writes this in a book called uh, When Life is Hard. 
He says, it's not a, it's not a great day when you learn one of your checks has bounced. Anybody been there? Post-college, I was there all the time. Uh, you didn't have the money to cover the purchase to begin with. And when the bank sends the check back, it has a fine attached. Like, how idiotic is that? Like, you don't have the money, and so all of a sudden there's fines attached to it. And like, you know, like, if you've been in the same boat that I've been, all of a sudden you're like, like, you're in the red, like, more and more and more because you bought, like, a $2, like, slinky, and now, like, you owe $37 instead of $2. Like, it's, anyways, I digress. Good luck collecting on that. It's a circular problem since, uh, since I, uh, since I notice just follows, since one notice follows, just follows another. First of all, it's embarrassing because you didn't have the resources that you thought you did. It's frustrating because uh, you take uh, on those extra NSFBs, non-sufficient fund charges. It's difficult because you, you've got to work it out with the bank and work it out with the merchant. The whole thing is a huge hassle. Uh, a trial like a bounce check, you, you feel stuck with a problem that you don't have the resources to solve. The temptation then is to rant to God. Do you see me over here, God? Do you see that I don't have what it takes to get through this? Are you paying attention? I'm about to bounce a lot of checks here. I don't have the resources. I don't have it emotionally. You're rattling my faith, God. Don't leave me in this mess. Those expressions of desperation you feel so awful about are in fact the exact truth that God has been trying to bring to your attention. You flat out don't have the resources. He wants you to come to a place where you get before him in a deeper way and tell him what he's known to be true all along, that you're in over your head. So James invites us to consider our focus. Is Jesus our focus or his riches? Are circumstances our focus or is it Jesus? Trials have this great way of relieving short-sightedness. Jesus said, come to me and deny yourself and take up your cross. There's this element of surrender and giving Jesus everything. If, if in riches we take on the focus of ourselves and we are kind of short-sighted and not realizing we need Jesus, if, if we're short-sighted, that which is unrealized can't be denied. So if, if riches are your God, God is going to find a way to reach into that so he makes himself the focus. So who is your focus? Thirdly, God, growth happens in the midst of the storm. Choose God's wisdom, choose your focus, and then choose the blessing. He says this to conclude our, our passage. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. When, when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him, that you're running a race. Stay steadfast, and at the end of the race, when you're running and when you finish strong, you will receive a blessing, and that blessing might not come here on earth, although sometimes there could be a blessing here on earth, but the blessing is ultimately God's, that you and I will one day be able to stand before God, and if we keep on keeping on, that God willing, he will look at you and say, well done. Here's a crown. Well done, you fought hard. And we get that through persevering. We get that through fighting hard and fighting through it. So are you persevering? You're blessed to persevere because you stood the test, because you displayed a love for God. And in the end, God says, well done. I, uh, I, we're part of this organization called Converge, and we meet, there's about 20 to 25 of us that every three months meet together, 
and, uh, in the greater Philadelphia area. And there's this one church in Philadelphia uh, with this guy named Gary. And he's been at these meetings for the last, like, two years. And uh, he wasn't at this meeting because he's been diagnosed with a very rare form of cancer that has this very uh, hard treatment around it. And they, we, at the beginning of these meetings, it, it, they, we share stories about, like, kind of what's going on in our lives and in our churches. And, and they're all sharing stories. They're not telling stories about their church. They're not telling stories about themselves. They're telling stories of Gary and how, how, how great his perspective is and how great his spirit is. And, and even, like, in the Sundays where he can't make it to church, he's asking them, why don't you guys call me and put it on speaker, put it over the mic, and I'll pray for the service, and I'll, I'll take part in the service. He's praying for this church even when he's bedridden. And what really gripped me, they all talked about suffering. They all talked about his perseverance. They all talked about his perspective. But then this last guy that spoke said that Gary is suffering well. And that just, like, punched me out. Because I've had my seasons of struggles. I've had my seasons of suffering. And I will again. There's nobody in my family that's eternal. So I'll suffer loss at some point. And that phrase, Gary is suffering well. I went home and I talked to Ava in my kitchen. We talked about how there's, there's families that have a whole lot of messes in their families, and who are we to think that that will never come to our lives? But right now, could we decide we want to suffer well? We want to run hard. We want to persevere. And we, I, I pray that it will be said of me, Jason suffered well. And I believe a person that suffers well will very likely hear, well done, well done, not good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful slave. So will you finish running? James is addressing people that need some encouragement. He reminds them, you're going to receive a crown. Run hard towards it. It's raining outside. Rain falls on us all. All the Christians aren't going to leave this building and all the raindrops fall away from them. Rain hit will hit the Christian and it will hit the non-Christian. Rain, life happens to all of us. But we as Christians, we have the opportunity to run hard and we have the opportunity to run with Jesus through the storm. So will we choose to do so? Growth happens in the midst of the storm. Choose God's wisdom. Choose your focus. Choose the blessing. These choices are faith choices. And so when, when life is crumbling around us, the person of faith choose a joyful attitude. The person of faith remains joyful in the midst of a life that's crumbling around them. And that is when you are able to find joy, when you aspire to hear, well done, well done, good and faithful slave. Part of the adulting process, part of growing up is saying, God, I'm going to handle situations the way you want me to handle situations. But will you choose to do so? Will you apply it? Not just know it, but will you do it? We're potty training Reagan right now. It's a nightmare. And every time she goes tinkle, we, like, applaud for her, and we give her candy. The only time I get candy when I tinkle is when I'm here at Wellspring, and there's mints in the bathroom. No one's applauding me, but it's part of the adulting process. You grow up. And so an average day for the Coash household, when, when we, we can face stress oftentimes, consider all joy when you face various trials. One, sometimes that's just normal life. 
And so I, I will wake up very, very early. I'll have my time with Jesus. I'll, I'll spend time praying. Then I'll, then I'll go upstairs, and, I'll, and Ava will be in the midst of, of reading and whatnot, and I'll interrupt her and say, let's pray, and we pray together. And then, and then I go on to the gym. I'm, I'm at the gym very early, but then my morning after the gym could start at, at a morning breakfast meeting where perhaps there's counseling going on, perhaps there is a death of a loved one, or perhaps there is marital struggles or family struggles, and, and all of a sudden, like, I, I may not be in that situation, but I start taking it on where I'm like, man, like, I, I'm feeling pain, I'm feeling stress. And then, and then it can start with maybe a staff meeting, where oftentimes staff meeting can be great, but sometimes staff meeting can be stressful. And we go to, and in the midst of a staff meeting, sometimes it can be a phone call, like the property that we thought we would nail so we can get out of the school and have our own place, like it fell through. Or perhaps it's a text message or a phone call. And as much as we would all like to think that everybody's nice to Pastor Jason, sometimes they're not. And so sometimes that's stress. Oh, and by the way, I study for sermons. And on my way home, when I think I'm done from a very long day, I could get a phone call where somebody that I'm mentoring, and it's time that I just need to invest into them. And so my day becomes that much longer, and then I'm home by 7. It could be a 15, 16-hour day. And I'm struggling to wrap my mind around Vegas, too. And I have to go in, and the girl that we're saying, well done every time she's tinkling... <laughs> She's popping a squat on the hardwood floor, peeing. Literally happened this week. Landon won't eat his food. Brady wants a sippy cup. And all the stresses from the day, just normal, everyday stresses, all of a sudden, I am so tempted to take the stress of ministry out on my kids. And it's in that moment where, God willing, I choose. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love isn't self-seeking. Love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Love hopes. Love endures. Love always wins. It never fails. Perhaps when I'm stressed to the max and I choose Jesus, perhaps that when I, that's when I grow as an adult instead of giving in to my emotions and my feelings. And that's a normal day. And some of you are saying, well, Jason, I'd kill for that day. I've been there. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know your stresses. Some of you I do. Sometimes I don't have all the answers. You can come to me and talk to me about the hardships of life, and I don't know how to sometimes wrap my mind around Vegas, like I said. But it reminds me, when that stuff like that comes up, this ain't my home. There's no mass shootings in heaven. But he's victorious. It reminds me that he mourns with me. So I don't know what you're going through, but I look at John 11, where Mary and Martha, two people we've talked about, they had a brother, Lazarus, Lazarus, and he dies. And they come to Jesus. Jesus shows up on the scene. He looks at it. He evaluates. And Jesus, where were you? Where were you when my brother died? What are you doing? Jesus gives a little perspective, but doesn't go on a whole tirade. And in their hurt, he hurts. In their lack of understanding, he hurts. And so with the combination of pain and a lack of understanding, there's two words that I, brings me comfort. Jesus wept. John 11.35. Can you say Jesus wept? <laughs> you just memorized scripture. Well done. <laughs> two words. Very simple. 
So in my pain, in our pain, Jesus reaches in and mourns with us. God doesn't look at our pain and know nothing of it. It was God who hung on the cross with nails pierced through his hand, knowing physical pain. He knew emotional pain when for the first time on the cross, he's, he's feeling the shame of the Father. He had never felt that because he was perfect. And he screams out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knew pain. But it also says in Hebrews that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. It doesn't mean the joy that the cross was without pain. It just means he knew the outcome, the salvation of mankind. So can we find joy in the outcome of the storms of life? Perhaps today we need to make the choice to do so. We're going to play the song It Is Well here at the end. And it's easy to sing when the sun is out and things are great. <laughs> you got that promotion at work. But it's a whole other thing when you lost your job and you don't know where the next meal is going to come. Perhaps in that season of life, it's a choice to say, God, it is well. So I pray that as we end this service that you will join me in singing, it is well.